How many of you uh, remember what historians call Watergate? Anybody remember that? Okay, Watergate was a political scandal in the United States in the 1970s that occurred as a result of a June 1972 break-in at the Democratic National Committee's headquarters at Watergate office complex in Washington, D.C. And it was also involved in the Nixon administration's attempt to kind of cover up their involvement in that. But one man who was involved with that scandal was named Charles Colson. Chuck Colson. In fact, Chuck Colson was so close to President Nixon that he was called his hatchet man. And uh, as, as Colson was such a key part of Watergate that he was part of what uh, the inner group of people who were involved with that called the Watergate 7, and Chuck Colson was the first person convicted in that scandal. However, you guys, some of you at least, might recognize him in a little bit different way. We've used some of Chuck Colson's Bible study materials in our growth groups before. Or maybe you've heard of Operation Christmas or Operation Angel Tree, where uh, Christmas gifts are collected and taken to the, the children of people who are incarcerated. Or maybe you've heard of Prison Fellowship, the nation's largest outreach to prisoners, which Chuck Colson founded. Or maybe you've heard on the radio Breakpoint, which was a radio broadcast that he founded, which advocated defending the Christian worldview in our culture. Wow, what a story of turnaround, amen? What a story of redemption. Here was a man who made some huge mistakes and got himself into a world of hurt, but he was given a second chance. In fact, uh, just before he went to prison, someone came to him and shared with him the good news about Jesus. Someone came to him right before he went to prison and shared with him how God had come and how Jesus had died on the cross and that he was willing to forgive him of his sins if he would put his trust in Jesus, that he could be forgiven, that he could be born again. And after Chuck Colson got out of prison, he used the rest of his life until he died last April, April of 2012, to follow God's plan and to make a difference in the lives of others. Wow, praise the Lord, amen. What an amazing story. Have you ever been given a second chance? Has anyone ever cut you some slack? Has anybody ever given you a break? They're hard to come by, aren't they? I mean, think about it. Have you ever wished that your spouse would just give you that second chance after the mistake that you made? Have you ever wished that your parents, yes, I, I'm a young person I'm, and I made a decision, I made a mistake, but I wish that my parents would just give me a second chance. Have you ever wished that a boss would give you a second chance? Because sometimes in the real world, boy, it's just you're one and done, amen? I mean, it's like you made a mistake, you're out of here. Sorry, next man up. Maybe it was sports, a tryout of some kind. Hey, I messed up. Like, can, I, can I get a what? Can I get a do-over? Can I try it just one more time? But unfortunately, many times we especially don't expect second chances from God. In fact, that's what many of us have been taught. Many of us have been taught with God, you've got to get it right. You've got to get it right the first time because you get no second chances. But I want to share with you tonight, if you think to yourself, when you're thinking of second chances, that God is not about that, you need to know that He is all about second chances. 
And that's what we're going to talk about tonight in His Word. I want to talk with you about a God of second chances. And we're going to read uh, starting in chapter 3. We're going to start in verse uh, 1 of Jonah. And I just want to share with you as we're reading through the book of Jonah, we're going to see a clear turn as we're reading this story here together tonight. So far, unfortunately, the story's been all about who? Jonah. So far, it's been focused on Jonah, but in these verses, we're going to see that all along, the point that God had been wanting to make was that he had some people that he wanted to rescue who had gotten far away from him. But unfortunately, Jonah's disobedience had really gotten in the way of that. And as we start these verses, I want to share with you, first of all, something that might be surprising to us. Did you know that second chances start with God. Let's look at the verses 1 through 10. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. And by the way, the first part of verse 3 would have saved him a lot of trouble. Amen? just because he didn't do that with all this other chapters that we've been reading. But now, thankfully, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord, just like God told him. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, before we get too far into this, I think we need to take note of something here. Like I said, the story is going to, be, to begin to take a turn here. Really, God had had a point all along. God's point was he cared for the people of Nineveh, and he wanted to raise up someone that would be his servant to take his message to those people to share that they could be forgiven and they could turn to God. But I want us to pay attention to something that God might want to speak to us about first here. Many Christians, are you listening? Many Christians, when we think of the Bible, we think of it like this. We're reading Scripture, and we think of it like this. You go, God. You tell all those people out there, go out the doors here, open the door, and point your finger. You go, God. You tell all those people what you have to say, and they need to get right with you. Well, you know what? God does have a message for the world. The message is, you can be reconciled with me. I love you. I've got a purpose for you. If you'll trust in me, your sins can be forgiven. You can be made right with me. But instead of God being able to focus on that, actually, listen, have you ever noticed this? Most of the Bible is written to God's people. Have you ever noticed that? Most of the Bible, most of God's Word, had to be devoted to getting us to get our acts together and go do what God said to do in the first place. And to challenge us, like Jonah, to be God's servants in the lives of others. Listen, many Christians, you will hear say, you know what, the world doesn't want to hear God's message. That's what you'll hear many Christians say. When in reality, Jesus said in Matthew nine thirty seven, the harvest is plentiful. There are many people right now ready to hear from God. But we just are making excuses because really, to be honest with you, I'm trying to be sweet about it because I are you. We're in this together, right? Honestly, many times we're just too lazy to do it. 
So we would rather say, all those people out there just don't want to hear it, and then that way I just don't have to share it, right? But again, did you notice? So far this story has had to be all about Jonah doing what God said to do. And isn't that unfortunately true in our lives as well? Isn't it sad? Does it break your heart tonight? Does it break your heart that much of God's work in my life, instead of being a powerful experience of God speaking and me obeying and people's lives being changed, instead of that many times it's God needing to get me to the place, well, I'll just do what he told me to do. Amen? I hope that breaks our heart tonight. So actually, in these verses, we're going to see two different opportunities at second chances. The first one went to who? The first one went to Jonah. The Bible says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, and God gave him the same message that he had given him before. How good of the Lord to give Jonah another opportunity to fulfill God's purpose for his life. And now Jonah travels the almost 500 miles east or northeast. We looked at that map in that first message. And he goes about that 500 miles east or northeast of, uh, of the uh, uh, Palestine area and goes to Nineveh. And he begins walking across uh, the, the city of Nineveh. And, and apparently it was a big city. The Bible says it took three days to get across it. By the way, just let me, I'm going to do some teaching here, just some prep here for you. There are some people that want to attack the Bible at this point. It's kind of like the big fish thing, you know, which again, I just... Continue to be amazed at why that's a big deal. I mean, if God can create everything, why is it so hard for a fish to swallow a man? I mean, that's just not really stressing me out. Is it you? I mean, I, I just really believe God can do that. Some ancient historians give us measurements that confirm that Nineveh was this big. Other historians give measurements that say a different size. And so people say, aha, the Bible is wrong. Okay, sometimes when you're reading something in the Bible, we find things that people outside of the faith say, well, I'm not so sure about that. What, they, what they're saying is, we don't yet have outside sources that confirm that. Let me give you an example. Uh, a few years ago, it was said that, oh, the Bible's not true because the Bible has written all over it there was a King David. And, and the historians and the archaeologists said, we've never found a King David. So guess what? Bible's wrong. That was what the story was. Guess what happened? They found King David. They found writings about King David. Oh, oh, sorry. Why do we need other sources to back up what the most reliable book ever, the most criticized, the most widely sold, the most widely used, the most widely studied, the greatest book ever given? Why do we need other sources to back it up? But you know what, this whole Nineveh thing, it doesn't bother me. He's either talking about the actual city or maybe he was talking about the greater metropolitan Nineveh area. Many times that's the way that was used. And so that, that's, that's what it could be talking about. It's not a big deal. I'm sure, you remember we said one day we'll have some classes in heaven about where Jonah was in the bottom of the fish in the bottom of the sea? One day I'm sure God will say this is exactly what that was talking about. Now, Jonah, after he had spent some time in Nineveh for about a day, he finally shares and preaches the message from God. But here's what I want you to notice about all that. Who is the one initiating this second chance opportunity? Was it the people of Nineveh? Did they send a contingency over to, to Jonah and say, hey, we heard you got this great message and we'd like you to come talk about your God to us? No, who, who initiated 
this second chance opportunity being presented to them? It was, it was God, wasn't it? It's God who's reaching out. It's God who's speaking through his servant to them. Isn't that surprising to most of us? Most of us normally think, I messed up, so I have to go beg to God, and maybe, hopefully, he will listen to me. Isn't that what many of us think? I made a mistake, i got to go beg, and then he's going to be doing like this, and he's going to say, if you jump enough times, if you pray enough of a certain kind of prayer, if you give enough money, if you serve enough, maybe I'll listen to you. Isn't that the way we feel? By the way, that's religion. That's not the Christian faith. Now, there are two things we need to realize that God's Word teaches us about God. Listen, first of all, the Bible teaches that we would not seek God unless God first sought us. Write down Psalm 14, verses 2 through 3. I read this uh, this week in my personal time of the Lord. It says, it repeats something that's found in Romans chapter 3, but it says, The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, if there are any who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. What the Bible says is, unless God, listen, unless God first initiated some desire for goodness in us, we would never go the direction of God's ways. Did you know that? By the way, here's how that can be encouraging to you. I share with people, if you are having a desire to do the right thing in your life, if you are having the desire to come to church, if you are having a desire to know God and to follow Him, that is already evidence that God is working in your life. Isn't that awesome? Write down another verse, uh, John 6, verse 44. In John 6, verse 44, again, it it reiterates what we're talking about. It says, Jesus says, No one can come to the Father, or no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I don't know how to touch us tonight. It is God that draws us to himself. It's God who desires us to come. And then in his kindness, he reaches out to us. Number two, it also tells us that God's a lot more gracious than we thought he was. Okay? Again, we thought he sits back and he just says to us, you're in trouble, well, maybe I'll listen. But instead, the biblical worldview is that God actually pursues us. And that isn't that I remember somebody sharing that with me a few years ago, and that just blew me away. God pursues us. Isn't that different than what we thought? Again, we thought I've got to kind of beg to have a, a, a to have his ear, but the Bible's that now it's not the saying that God needs us or that God's going, please, please. You know, I've shared with the illustration before. You ever seen y'all know I like the Looney Tunes, you know, I mentioned that. You ever see the Looney Tunes cartoon where they go, Hey Spike, you wanna play Spike? Hey Spike, what do you want to do, Spike? Hey Spike, you wanna be friend Spike? Okay. God's not like some little chihuahua who's who's uh, snapping at our heels saying, Please, please, will you be my friend? Okay, that's not what we're saying. But we are saying that he loves us so much that he won't easily let us go. Isn't that cool? In fact, listen to this. It was very real that the people of Nineveh were facing judgment. But as the clouds of judgment were forming, God was still working to send them one last opportunity. Isn't that cool? 
God waits till the very last final moment. We kind of get upset about God being a God who judges sin. But actually in the middle of the judgment getting ready to happen, God is still crying out and offering to us a way of escape. He's sending a prophet to us. In fact, the only thing that was getting in the way here was the least important part of the equation. It was the prophet. It's kind of like if I wanted to send a message to you, and what if the postman said, well, I'm not so sure I want to deliver this. He'd be like, hey, buddy, I got something I want to say, and it needs to get to these people, and they want to hear it, and the postman say, well, I, just, I don't know if I want to do that. Isn't that a weird picture? I remember times in my life when I wasn't walking as closely with God. Do you? Remember times when you, when you weren't? Maybe that's right now. And I thank God that at, at, at some of those times I was in a godly, a good Bible-believing church. And there were pastors and there were other people that were faithfully teaching God's Word. And I remember hearing those messages from godly men. And over time, God speaking to me and getting me where I needed to be. Can you remember that? Do you remember times like that in your life? Praise His name. Amen? Many times I wasn't looking for Him. He came searching me out. Praise the Lord. I remember other times in my life when I wasn't as involved in church, but I sensed because God was living in my heart, I gave my life to Christ at an early age. And I remember hearing him call to me, Robbie, you need to get things right with me. And just gently and kindly, but even firmly sometimes, just saying, Robbie, you need to get things right. Anybody ever had that happen? I was actually trying to push away from him, but he kept pursuing me with that second chance. Isn't that amazing? He could say you get one and only one and you didn't deserve that one. But he actually says, I will go with you as far as I possibly can because that is how much I care for you. He sends people into our lives, doesn't he? You ever been out of place with God and somebody at work just say something to you you know was God? Somebody just, God just sends somebody across your path in your life, a doctor or a coworker or a family member. Maybe they don't even know. They said it in passing, and God used that to speak to your life. I'm trying to speak to you. I'm calling out to you. Friend, if you ever wondered if God was really a God of second chances, the Bible says, have no fear. Absolutely. In fact, for some of us, He's probably even knocking on the door of your heart right now, isn't He? He's speaking to you about that. There's no doubt God is a God of second chances. Then there's a decision that we have to make, though. Yeah, God pursues us, and God reaches out to us, but, but there's a decision we have to make. Let's go back to Jonah chapter 3, and let's look at uh, verses 5 through 9. It says, Then the people of Nineveh, after God spoke to them through his servant, then the people of Nineveh believed in God. Remember I said that Jonah is a book of surprises? You cannot imagine how surprising this story would have been to the Jewish people. Then the people of Nineveh believed they trusted in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes or on the dirt. He issued a proclamation, and in it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. 
And let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Now, with what we're talking about here, typically I find that there are two uh, extremes in the wrong direction. Either many people believe that God absolutely will not forgive us. So what, is it the Bronx where they say, forget about it? Okay, just forget about it. And that's what some of you have done, you just forget about it. Okay, I've just done enough. There's, there's no reason to even think about it. Other people go the other direction, and they say, no, all of us have been forgiven. And here's the idea. Jesus died on the cross to pay for sins, so since he did that, all of our sins are taken care of. By the way, I have found, you need to listen to me very clearly here, because many people have been led to believe this, it is not true. Just because Jesus died on the cross to pay for sins, it does not mean that your sins have been washed away. Okay? The payment has been made, but something else needs to happen in order for that payment to be applied. The Bible says that God is a God of second chances, but there is a response. There is a decision that we need to make with that offer. Look at what happens in these verses. If you look at verse 5, amazingly, the terroristic Assyrians believed in God. They trusted in God. Now, so far, we've been pretty hard on Jonah. Wouldn't you say we've been hard on Jonah? Okay, but remember, the Assyrians were known to be extremely cruel people. And if we're right about the time that Jonah was serving as a prophet, the next generation of Assyrians after these Assyrians were actually going to turn around and destroy his people, Jerusalem, in 722 B.C. So let me ask you this. What if God were calling you to be a missionary somewhere where terrorists live? What if you had lost a family member in 9-11? Some of you maybe did. Maybe you, an acquaintance or, or a friend of a friend. What if you lost someone that was in the military in the war? And by the way, just to bring that home even more, this literally was in modern-day Iraq, this area that we're talking about. Okay, but look at what happens in these verses. In verse 5, it says, The king of those people who treated people like that he issued a fast. He said, listen, we're going to do without food. A fast is doing without food for the purpose of focusing more on God. He says, we're going to do that. He says, then we're going to put on sackcloth. Now, sackcloth was kind of a coarse garment made of goat's hair that basically was what poor people wore. But it was also a way of just kind of showing uh, that you were uh, in poverty or it was a way of showing that you were in mourning. It was a way of showing weakness or poverty of your soul, a desperation of your soul. Then look at verses 6 through 9. That's what the people were doing, but then look at, what, look at what happened with the king. The Bible says the word got to the king. He got up off of his throne. Now, these guys were bad news. And, and ancient kings, they didn't, they didn't get off their throne for anybody. He got off his throne. He laid aside his robe showing his humility, his unkingliness, and he too covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, which was a sign of mourning or of extreme tragedy. Then he issued this proclamation. He says, no people or no animals are to eat. We're all going to fast. 
All the peoples and animals are going to show that sign of mourning or brokenness or humility. So you can literally see the, um, the oxen or, or the, um, uh, the animals around town having this sackcloth put across them as well. So everywhere you went, people had on this... So it's like we're here tonight and everybody here has on this uh, clothing that demonstrates poverty or desperation. You go outside, you see animals, and if you don't feed animals after a while, you're going to hear some cows lowing, right? You're going to hear some mooing and things like that, the lowing of the animals. Okay, so there's all this reminder that, oh my goodness, something serious has happened. And he says, I want all the people to call out to God for mercy. In fact, it's, it's hard to read here in English. It comes across pretty good in this translation. He says, let men call on God earnestly. He commands them, and he says it firmly, that everyone is to call out to God with strength. The word means with great conviction. Listen, he's saying no half-hearted praying. Everybody here beg God to have mercy on us. And who knows? We can only hope, he said, that God will indeed have mercy on us. You know, you might say, well, what happened to these people? Wouldn't you say that? I mean, if that was a true modern-day example, what would happen that people who were committing those kind of evil deeds clearly recognizes as destructive and, like I said, terroristic and people that, that had no regard many times for human life beyond the people outside their own nation. What happened to those people? The short answer is God got all of their heart. Now, the longer answer is that there's some evidence, in spite of the fact that they had been a known power, that during this time, the nation had become weakened. Now, listen to me, friends. During this time, their nation had gotten weaker. They were facing attacks from outside enemies. They had gone through some severe famines. They had had uprisings in their nation among their own people. There had been some serious plagues break out. And there was also a solar eclipse during that time. And many people have speculated that is it possible that God was bringing together all these circumstances around them and it looked as if their, their empire was crumbling and they were getting to a point of realizing, you know what, we're in trouble. And then when Jonah walks into town and preaches this message, it's like, whoa, we are in trouble. We need to get right with God. I wonder if this is some of what our country is hearing from God right now. Do you know what my concern is? Though we, that, that even though we're in, in a similar situation like Nineveh, what did Nineveh do when they heard the message? They were broken. They responded. Our nation, in many ways, continues to look to ourselves and money for the answer. Surely, we can figure this out. Surely, we can dig our way out of this hole financially. And it doesn't seem like we're fully broken yet, does it? It doesn't seem like we're truly desperate, especially our leaders, many times, shaking our fist at God. You see, we should not interpret second chances as that it doesn't matter to God. Did you hear me? We should not interpret God giving us more opportunities as that it doesn't matter to Him. We eventually will face judgment. 
But if we turn to him like this, like this king who had never worshipped God before, if we turn to him, God might have mercy, just like the king said. Now, before we move on, I want to think about two more things here. First of all, look at look what, what can happen when we quit running from God. Look at what God was able to do because Jonah had quit running. There's amazing grace for us. We get a second chance. And then other people, God gets to work. And then I'll listen to what Martin Luther said about this. He said, I am tempted to say, listen, that no apostle or prophet, not even Christ himself, which might be an overstatement, but... The point is well taken. He says, I am tempted to say that no apostle or prophet, not even Christ himself, performed and accomplished with a single sermon the great things Jonah did. The conversion of the city of Nineveh with one sermon is surely as great as his rescue from the belly of the whale, if not even a greater miracle. In other words, we tend to focus on the fish part, but the amazing miracle of the book of Jonah is that he preaches such a short, such a terse message, and yet tens of thousands of people are saved and give their life to God. Y'all don't seem impressed. Wow. Wow. Also, did you notice the brevity of Jonah's message? I'm not sure... If that's because Jonah had an attitude problem still, you know, I'm going to preach, but I don't want to say much. Okay, people, turn to God, hurry up. That's all I got to say. I don't know if that's it, or I don't know if the point is to show God's power, because obviously Jonah didn't put together very well a message, did he? From what we have recorded. Or maybe it's to show the readiness of the people for God to work in their lives. Maybe it's a little bit of all of it. I want to focus on that last one. Listen, friends. There is something you see in people who are hungry for God. Write down Luke chapter 11, verses 31 through 32. Actually, I don't think I'm stretching this because Jesus actually specifically mentions these people in this verse in Luke 11. He talks about the queen of the south. He talks about the Ninevites. He talks about the wise men. Uh, not there, but in the New Testament, it talks about the wise men, the shepherds, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, which basically were crooks. Listen, all of those people, it didn't take much message from God to move them. Will you let that sink in? All of those people, and by the way, unlikely people, not people who you typically thought of as really getting it with God and ready for God to work. But apparently they were truly hungry people and when God gave them just a little bit of revelation from himself, they were ready to act. And by the way, you see the opposite in people who are not truly hungry for God. People who are not truly hungry for God take a lot to move them spiritually. It takes a lot of, of God drawing to them, and maybe not even them. And what I think is interesting in the Bible is, like I just said, many of those who were so quick to act on such small revelation were the least likely. They weren't your churchgoers. They were people who had maybe never been involved with the Lord before. But their hearts were hungry, so when God moved, they said, that's what we've been looking for. 
And then God warns us on the other end that many of us who've been a part of church our whole lives, now that's not to say that it's bad to be a part of church your whole life. Praise God if you've got a solid foundation and you've built upon that and God's built upon that your whole life. But there is a danger for those of us in this room who've been around the Lord's work for a long time that, listen, we may not be as hungry. Maybe God would speak to us tonight. Maybe it shouldn't take so much to move me. Amen? Maybe I should be more ready, more hungry. How much does it take from God to move you? That's an indicator of your true hunger or not. So second chances, they start with God. Second chances, they take some sort of a response from us. But then in verse 10, I want you to see what God will do when we respond to him. It says, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way. And that's a description of what we see in the Bible. It's called repentance. It's turning. It's a changing. It's, it's my life is showing a difference. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So here's what just happened. God speaks, and he offers some people a second chance. Those people listened. They listened pretty quickly. They, they were ready, and they responded. They humbled themselves. They obeyed God. And God was willing to grant forgiveness and to give them a second chance. Write down a couple of verses here. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, God is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Again, that whole idea that we think God's got this... Uh, a quick temper, and he's just wanting to just kind of jump on us, and he's waiting for you to get out of line, and then all of a sudden he's just going to kind of pounce on you. That's the way many of us feel about God, but that's not what the Bible teaches, that yes, God is serious about sin, and it has to be dealt with, and it's going to destroy us, and it's going to destroy our uh, other people around us, and it's going to destroy our relationship with God. It is serious, but God is willing to forgive if we will trust him. Write down uh, Psalm 145, verse 8. This, this phrase is found all throughout the Old Testament. I just found it a few years ago. It's almost like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Listen to what it says. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. It's almost, since it's repeated so much in the Old Testament, I get the impression that it must be a pretty indicative picture of the nature of God. If you want to know about God, the Lord is gracious... And merciful, not quick-tempered. He's actually slow to anger. He's waiting. He's open. He's reaching. He's calling. He's offering. He's sending. He's speaking. Slow to anger and great in loving kindness. And that's basically the Old Testament equivalent of the New Testament agape. He is great in steadfast, unfailing, um, uh, unconditional love toward us. Isn't that an awesome picture of God? That is what God is willing to do. He's wanting to do. I just don't think we can understand the gravity of what we're reading here. Basically, in the previous verses, it's like all the terrorists coming out of the shadows, turning over their weapons, and confessing to what they've done wrong, and saying, you know what, we need to get our lives right with God. Maybe just as shocking as that is this is us finding that no matter who you are, 
If you will turn to the Lord, he will forgive you and have mercy on your life. It doesn't matter in this room who you are. Now, when I say it doesn't matter, again, I'm not saying it doesn't matter what I've done. It does matter what I've done. What I've done is hurt, hasn't it? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. It brings hurt. It brings destruction. In that sense, it does matter. But in the sense of will God forgive me, the Bible says it does not matter what you've done. There is nothing that is too far gone for God. If you will turn to him tonight, right now, and say, God, I have so... I, Oh my goodness. And you know what? Something I find, it makes us uncomfortable, but we need to sense the gravity of our sin. Something I find is many of us, many times, do not realize how lost we are and how in danger of judgment we are. We say, yeah, I'd like to give my heart to Jesus. I'd like to follow Jesus. It sounds like, you know, it's a nice, I've got some things in my life. I'd like to have a car. And, you know, I'd like to have a couple of kids and a picket fence. And I want to follow Jesus. And so we sort of, it's just some of the nice things that you want in your life. But no, when I came to Christ, I realized that I was in danger of the judgment of God. And if I died tonight, that things were not right. Now, the good news was he was not trying to put his thumb on me. He was offering me the way of escape. He wanted me to have the way of escape. See, God does not hate sinners. He hates sin. Because sin destroys, amen, doesn't it? Let's name some sins and let's talk about how it messes things up. So here's what God's saying. And it's out of his goodness he's going to destroy sin. He's going to get rid of sin one day. Praise the Lord. Amen? Anything you name it, you don't like or that's messing up your life or that's destroyed or hurt or brought... uh, pain in your life, God's going to take that away one day. That's good. But if he does that, he has to judge us because we have sin in us. I don't want to do that. So he who knew no sin became sin for us. Wow. So I get the gravity of it. It's a big deal. But I also get the mercy of it. He loved me too much for me to become the lightning rod of his wrath. He made his son. He's willing to forgive me if I'll trust him. And just say, God, I get it. I give my life to you. I am so sorry. I don't know how I've missed this. Maybe I grew up in church, or maybe, Lord, I just, I never heard this. Some of you would say, I've never heard this. Praise the Lord, but you have tonight. So just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you that I didn't go another 10 years and mess up more without you. This is what God will do tonight. Even to people that anybody in the world would say, wow, they're sinners. God was willing to turn back his judgment and to save them. Did God bring you here tonight because you needed to hear that he's a God of second chances? Or like I said earlier, 350th chances or 1,200th or 1 millionth. I don't know if you're like me, but I just don't ever seem to get it. Amen? You know what I say to the Lord many times? I thank you that you're my Savior. Because it gives me a lot of comfort to know that I'm secure in you. Because if it was based on me, I would have lost it like 30 minutes ago. Isn't that good news? I have the safety of a relationship that I can grow and learn. And he gives me those opportunities. Or maybe you've never trusted him as your Savior. And you don't have that safety. You don't have that confidence, that assurance, but you can tonight. 
And he's been speaking to you. He's been giving you opportunities. He's been reaching out to you. Maybe it was your mom. Maybe it was your grandmother. Maybe it was watching Billy Graham on TV. Maybe you went to church when you were a child. But God's been speaking to you, hasn't he? He's been sending his message. He's been speaking to your heart. You know it. You've been trying to avoid it, just like Jonah. But God's got his number on you tonight. He's got your number tonight. Don't fight that. Welcome it. Say, thank you, God, that you see me and you know what I need tonight. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. And let's worship the God of second chances. Amen. Maybe you're a Christian here tonight and you would say, Pastor Robbie, I've blown it. And you know what the enemy wants to say? Hey, you know what? You started out as a Christian. You had to get it right the first time, but you messed it up, so you may as well just fall off the wagon. That's a lie from hell. There are none of us who are going to get it right. That's why we need a Savior. If you're a child of God tonight, if you truly are, you know you've given your life to Jesus, you are safe and secure in His arms. It's good news, amen. But still, He has a purpose for you. And I don't want to miss out on that purpose, do you? Just say, God, please cleanse me of those wrong decisions I've been making. Please change my path, God. I thank you that you've been merciful to me and I've been going the wrong direction. It hasn't caused as much pain as it could have yet. But I know it's going to, God. I'm so sorry. Please turn me around. Give me that new path, Lord. I don't even know what to do. Some of us didn't grow up in church or learning the Bible. And so you're just like, I'm just starting a whole new world. We learned tonight that's not necessarily a bad thing. In some ways, it can make it more fresh for you. Or maybe you do have that foundation tonight and you know what the Lord would have you to do and it's just time to make that decision. Thank God you do have that foundation. And you just need to respond to what you already know God's saying. I would love to know at the end of this night tonight, but maybe if, even if I don't know tonight, 10 million years from now, if somebody in this room would walk up to me and say, Pastor Robbie, on that night you talked about God being a God of second chances. I'd never heard that. But I heard it that night. And I received Him. I gave my life to Him. And I'm in heaven today because God sent that message to me. Would you just say, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Just like these Assyrians, God. I know that I've done wrong. I've done so much. Some of us in this room hope that nobody here ever finds out where we've been and what we've done. I think all of us feel that way. But God knows and he's willing to forgive tonight if you'll say, I trust you, Jesus. I invite you to come into my life and to wash my sins away. Will you please save me? And he will. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, in these next few moments, help us to respond to your voice. Help us to be quick, just like the Ninevites. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.